0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments,
2: hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
3: now's the time to save 30 percent on wedding jewelry only on blue nile.com make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab grown diamond bands all hand finished and graded for excellence or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
4: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care.
3: If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place.
1: In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Billy Murphy about developing a tolerance for risk and failure and his lessons learned from his time as a professional poker player. Hey, Billy, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us.
6: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, I came across you by way of our friend, uh, Matt Monroe, who said you had just an absolutely crazy story and he was a big fan of your work. So. Uh, on that note, can you tell us a, a bit about your story, your background, uh, your journey and, and, how that has led you to everything that you're up to in the world today?
6: Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess after graduation from college, I, uh, yeah, I had a job for a little bit and knew it wasn't for me, uh, became a professional poker player for probably about four years. I had played in college, you know, kind of part-time on the side, knew I could make some money from it and said, you know, if I was going to take a shot, now would be the time. Um. You know, when I was, I think I was 22, 23 at the time. So, uh, took a shot. It turned out really, really well. Uh, did that full time for about four years. Then started a poker company. That basically trained other people how to do it. Um, we basically signed on, you know, a number of pros. They made training videos and basically taught other pros how to make, you know, a full time living from poker. Um, at that point, I think in probably a couple of years later. Uh, 2011, I got into e-commerce stores and just kind of, uh, you know, built you know passive uh, e-commerce stores like dropship stores, um, and then kind of in the last year or two, you know, got into uh, forever jobless and launched a podcast, launched a blog, um, you know, do a little bit of investing, and now just kind of, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, doing a little bit of everything. Well,
1: let's do this. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to the very uh, beginning of this story. You know, one uh, is a sort of realization that you get to where you realize that a job isn't for you. Uh, you know, I think so many people come to that realization, but they don't realize the reality of what also comes with that. And I'd love for you to, to sort of expand on that in more depth. Uh, you know, talk sort of one about making the decision that a job wasn't for you uh, and, and sort of the mindset to navigate a journey like that. Because I think that we romanticize it, uh, you know, when you when you look at somebody like you or you look at somebody like the Chris Gillibos of the world or you look at sort of entrepreneurs, everybody romanticizes what that life is like. And I, I really love for you to kind of talk through, uh, you know, one, the mindset, some of the challenges of going down that path and, and some of the difficult parts
6: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely is. uh, You know, people see the end result of um, of what someone is doing, and they, you know, they would enjoy that part of it. But Mm -hmm. there is a hard road that goes along with it. Um, You know, there's risk, there's failure, there's there's loss. Um, You know, when I started out, you know, as a poker player, um, my first month as a as a you know quote unquote professional poker player, I made zero dollars. You know, I had taken a long break. You know, I think I was in a job for four to five months after college. Um, hadn't played poker at all, and basically it was really rusty. The games were, you know, getting a little bit harder. Um, didn't make any money, and, and so you know, picture leaving your job and your first month making zero dollars and so you know is at that point do i you know what do i do um and so for me you know i was committed at that point uh ended up hiring a coach you know worked closely with a coach um but this is like day in day out like i didn't do anything else mm-hmm. um you know i did, I wasn't you know partying and uh you know dating and watching tv there was there was really none of that basically all day every day for months on end was if I wasn't playing poker, I was studying poker. If I wasn't studying poker, I was talking with, you know, a coach about, you know, why I messed up or, you know, what, what certain plays I should have done better. Um, that was 24-7. Um, and so, you know, the second month as a, as a full-time poker player, I made 17000 And so, you know, but that wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. That was, uh, you know, I played for years in college, you know, started playing for pennies, uh, slowly worked up, you know, started making, you know, a dollar a day, $2 a day. And so a lot of people look at overnight successes as if they happened, you know, from yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that was years and years of playing. It just happened, you know, decided to do it full time. And even, you know, after all that experience the first month, I mean, I didn't even make any money. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, the, the poker end of it. I mean, that was, uh, you know, the kind of start I had just playing playing for side money in college and, and, and taking years to kind of get to that point where I could make a living from it. Um, but man, there's there's all sorts of, uh, you know, times when I struggled coming up. I mean, I remember one time you know, I'd moved out to Arizona. Um, I'm from the East Coast, moved out to Arizona to do real estate. And this is really shortly after um, starting to play poker full time and, and figured I was making good money at poker at that point, said, hey, I'm going to... Uh, know, try and invest in some real estate. Moved out there. I was staying in like a studio apartment, um, literally no furniture. I mean, it had like a, a pull-out couch that pulled into a bed and uh, a little wooden table that I would sit at and play poker and in the in my spare time look for real estate deals. I mean, and all day, every day, all I did was, you know, play poker to try and make money. And then the rest of the day, I was either looking at real estate deals or you know, talking to people about real estate or trying to learn about real estate. and. Um, at the end of the day on the real estate deals, I mean, fast forward a couple of years, ended up losing a lot of money on on real estate deals out there. And so, you know, if that had worked out, right, everyone would have been saying, man, like, you're so lucky, you know, another overnight success of, you know, a successful real estate investment. Um, but, you know, I'd bought at the worst time in, in history in 2000, I think about 2006 or so. Um, and so lost a lot of money on, on those deals. And so I think a lot of, a lot of the glamour of, being a, uh, someone, you know, people might consider a successful entrepreneur. A lot of people don't see all these roadblocks and all these losses and these risks and these long days and nights of working, um, to get to these successes that you might happen along the way. Um, so I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, you know, the way I I talk about, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, it's a very, it's an easy way to make money, but it's very, very hard work. And so, um, you know, if you see the end result, people would say, Oh, that's you know, that's relatively easy. You know, you start a you know start a blog or start a podcast and you make this money, but it's it, it doesn't quite work like that. It's not like an overnight thing where, you know, people just turn a switch and make money. It's you know, you maybe, you know, fail a dozen times and then and then you have a big success. Um, so I think that's the that's the part a lot of people from the outside looking in um, don't see.
1: mm mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you, you brought up the idea of risk, failure, and loss multiple times. So, you know, one of the things I think is really, really important is developing a tolerance for risk, developing a tolerance for failure, and and developing a tolerance for loss. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you do that? I mean, is that only through experience? I mean, I've asked people, you know, a similar version of this question. It seems almost like, an integral part of every single person's story is some sort of catastrophic loss or experience that really sets them back in a bad way, um, right. but often ends up being the catalyst for for their own success. So, I mean, are there things you can do to develop this tolerance for risk, failure, and loss?
6: I mean, for me, obviously it helped being a professional poker player. It was um, I got accustomed to thinking in terms of, not in terms of the result, but in terms of the thought process that leads to the, to the result. So basically as long as I'm taking the correct actions um, – you know, in poker, we, we call it, uh, you know, everybody refers to expected value, also known as EV. So, you know, every decision you make, you want to make the most profitable decision possible. And it doesn't matter what the end result is, as long as you made the best decision, um, in the long run, the numbers will work out. And so, you know, a lot of people would, even if they have a profitable decision, they would turn away from that decision if it's a high variance. Um, in other words, if, if a lot of the times it's not going to work out, even if they know it's the best decision, a lot of people would say no to that decision and take, you know, a worse route just because it's, you know, in their eyes safer. Like they're not going to, you know, risk as much. Um, the problem with that is they're still risking. It's just, you know, it doesn't show up immediately. So, you know, let's take for example, someone in a job. You know, someone's in a relatively secure nine-to-five job. Um, they're basically taking a huge risk, but the way they view it is, you know, I'm safe. I'm in my job. I have a secure income. Um, the problem with this is there's a lot of problems with it. one their income is relatively capped so as well as the fact that somebody else decides you know when that goes up or down um, they don't have any control over it and you know an entrepreneur for example can say look I'm gonna take you know a risk but their income is uncapped and you know so maybe short-term it won't work out as well for them Um, and a lot of times it doesn't however long-term the expected value for someone who's gonna start a business is often substantially higher than someone that stays in a job. And so, you know, let's say someone's goal was, okay, I wanna make, you know, X amount of money, I wanna make a million dollars. Well, if you have a job that pays, you know, forty grand a year, well, in some sense a lot of those people look at it and say, Okay, I have a secure job. But basically that the route that they're choosing guarantees them failure. So the greatest risk in that case is staying in their safe, secure job. They're guaranteed failure. It's hundred percent certainty that they'll fail at reaching their goal. Where the entrepreneur who takes a chance and says, "You know what? I may fail. However, this route guarantees I have a, a much higher chance at reaching my goal." So even if they have a lot of ups and downs on their on their you know lifetime income graph, mm-hmm. um, the chance that that person will reach a goal, whatever it may be is substantially substantially higher and in the short term a lot of people look at things very very short term and so they say you know it's risky to take this chance so i'm going to stay where i am but if they thought about it correctly in terms of expected value uh the riskiest play is actually not taking the risk
1: mm-hmm so c- a couple of questions around that so Let's say you take the risk and you do fail, uh, which is inevitably known to happen, right? I mean, I think you and I can both attest to the fact that when you go through this, they're going to be, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. It doesn't, it's not sort of, you know, you shoot off into the stars and life is perfect forever. Uh, It's a continual series of ups and downs. How do you bounce back from failures? Like what in your mind has been essential for you to bounce back from your failures? And how do people cultivate an ability to bounce back? Or do you just have to fail and bounce back to do that?
6: I think one of the things is if you can take the positive out of it. So for me, every time I fail, I know I learn a great deal. Um, If I fail, usually I can tell why I failed. Um, You know, in real estate, did I buy at the wrong time? You know, definitely yes. Uh, Did I, you know, did the things, the properties that I buy, cash flow um, have a have a heavy cash flow? No matter if there was a downturn and and bringing the rental rate down, the answer was no, and I should have done that. Um, There was a lot of things. There was a lot of initial rules. A lot of you know, real estate investors follow that I didn't follow. Um, and so now, you know, sometimes it takes pain to, to, to really get those lessons. I mean, you can read in a book what you're supposed to do and, and you, you can agree with it and then, you know, jump in. And, uh, until you feel the pain, sometimes you don't really, really grasp the lesson. Um, you know, so if I, if I invested in some real estate deals now, I would, feel those lessons the whole way through and make sure that the deals that I got into qualified mm-hmm. um, under certain rules. And so, you know, a lot of people will will fail and then their mindset is so that they say, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm unlucky. Uh, this guy's lucky that he succeeded and I failed and they don't take away the lessons. But, you know, the people that become successful are the people that can fail and understand that failure is okay and failure means growth. And if you're growing. Basically, that means the next time it becomes that much easier. I mean, if you take, you know, everybody has a coin, right? When they start out their life, everybody has a coin. And the more you flip it, the higher the odds come in your favor that, you know, that it'll land on your side as you go. If, as long as you're taking away knowledge when you fail. But the problem is a lot of people just keep flipping the coin and hoping to get lucky instead of like taking the knowledge from each of those failures.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something inherently built into people who actually can get past the failures and keep going? Or do you, think, do you think that's just something you're born with? Because I've always wondered about this. I'm like, are there certain people who have an inherent ability to keep showing up despite the circumstances, despite potential failures? Because on some level, they believe they're destined for something great. Or they believe that whatever it is they're working on, something big is going to come from all of it.
6: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. I know for, for me, yeah, I'm trying to think of when... You know, I always feel like, you know, if I if I get into something, it will succeed. And obviously that isn't the case. I don't I don't succeed 100% of the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure why, you know, why I'll fail on something and then, you know, be okay with jumping into the next thing with, with the same excitement, uh, thinking I'll succeed. I'm not sure, you know, at what point, you know, did I develop that or was I born with it? I'm not not 100% sure. Um, and I know, you know, several friends are the, the same way I am. I mean, we fail... We probably fail a lot more than other people just because we're willing to try a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but we're okay jumping into something new as if we've never seen failure. And I think part of that, again, I think I think the biggest thing is the earlier someone fails, and you learn it's okay, like nothing nothing bad really happens. It's a temporary disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit easier. And so I think the earlier you start failing, um, the earlier you allow yourself to realize, okay, well if I jump into something else and fail, I'll realize that's okay too. It doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's true. You know, it's it's funny. The reason I brought that up is somebody asked me a question about this the other day and I said, you know, I I think that, the, this ability to keep going, I think you wouldn't have it unless on some level you believe something big was going to come from it. And they're like, well, how do you develop? It? And I said, I don't know that you develop it. I think it's, it's just there. It's there from the start. Otherwise you wouldn't start the thing to begin with. And right. that's what gives you the ability to keep going. Now you mentioned this idea of temporary disappointment and, and you know, my business partner, Greg Hartle always talks about how your temporary circumstances don't have to become your permanent identity. And yet he's seen so many people in his life. Let that happen. Um, you know what are your thoughts on the people who let a temporary disappointment consume them and become you know part of their permanent reality and, and how do they avoid that trap
6: yeah that's tough i know uh i know tim ferris had a quote on this and it's it's something along the lines of you know a lot of people spend their lives at a at a consistent like 6 or 7 right and they mm-hmm. never risk the chance to get to you know a permanent 9 or 10 due to the fact they don't want to risk a temporary, you know, four or five on a scale of happiness, um, to reach, you know, a permanent level of happiness. And it's, I find that a lot of people, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a tough question to answer just because I think, you know, I'm not quite wired that way. Like if I fail, you know, I'm not going to spend the next decade, decade, just, you know, kind of being upset about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of, you know, jump to something else, but a lot of people do just, I don't know, it's almost like they accept mediocrity and they say that's, you know, that's my life. You know, other people are lucky. I think it it really is a mindset thing. I mean, people just need to um, to understand, well, you really do determine, you know, your future and, and all, your, all your thoughts determine your actions and your actions determine, you know, the results you get. And I think a lot of people, you know, either with, you know, friends or family that they're around just get in a certain mindset where, you know. The, the lucky ones are successful. And, and I think that's just the wrong mindset. Everyone basically has roughly the same chance. I mean, some people are born, you know, a little bit smarter. Some people are born, you know, maybe with an inheritance. But uh, for the most part, everyone has roughly the same chance to accomplish things. It is it is really a mental mindset. And I don't know, you know, if if we grew up in a certain, you know, did our, did our parents tell us, you know, more often that we could be anything we wanted? Uh, did somebody else's parents, you know, Tell their kids that they that they couldn't. You know, it's 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 tough to track back. You know, what was it that you know conditioned our minds or, or people's minds differently that uh, that allowed them to be successful versus someone who's you know like you said it, it accepts a certain state um, and doesn't jump out of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let me ask you this. You know, one other thing you talked about uh, was this idea uh, of people who fail often see things very short term, and then you know people who succeed have this ability to see things on a longer term. Uh, You know, this actually jogs back a conversation I had with with a friend as well who, you know, once told me, he said, even though, you know, we're five years into this and, you know, this has been a year of a lot of growth and change. And of course, with growth and change, it's also come with challenges that, you know, were far different than the ones I had before and and far more difficult. And he said to me, he said, it's really important that you remember that you're just at the beginning of the arc of your body of work. And I'm thinking half a decade later, that's what we're saying. And, I, and but, but I think about that and I think wow how true is that that you have to really look at it that way I'm really curious to hear sort of your thoughts on this idea of, of short and long-term thinking and, and really how you kind of make the shift to a long-term mindset um, if you've had a short-term mindset
6: yeah it's another good question um I think it's I, I know for me I've tended to be in a shorter term mindset if I'm not extremely passionate about something um mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, at least in the you know kind of online space, entrepreneur space, I think a lot of people pursue things because they, they think they think either someone else has made money for it uh, from it and they can do the same thing, or they think, hey, here's an opportunity that you know I heard you can make a lot of money from, um, and they get into it with short-term thinking, like I'm just going to try and chase some money. Um, I've noticed that you say you're you know you're involved in this for five years. Obviously, it's something you're you're good at and you're passionate about, or else you know five years in, you might say, well, you know, let me jump to the next thing and chase money. Um, and that's what a lot of people do. I think uh, it's easy to get caught up in the game of you know chasing money, and I think chasing money is a short-term thing because if you're not if you don't enjoy it, you won't stay in the game long enough to reach a level to which you'll get the results that you want. Um, and I think. For me, the mindset is uh, consistently trying to stay away from chasing money, which is which is hard as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But it's and, and there's there's obviously the you know not to get off on a on a tangent of uh, kind of the passion versus profit argument that a lot of people have. Um, but I've noticed that it's it's a lot easier it's a lot easier to make money long term at something and be successful even you know money aside be successful at something long term if it's something you really enjoy. It's hard to be, it's hard to do something for five years or ten years um, if you're just doing it because, hey, there's a, you know, there's a market here, there's money to be made here. Um, and I think if people really looked at, okay, what do I want to do, um, combined with obviously, you know, what am I good at doing, what would, what can I offer value uh, mm-hmm. to other people, uh, people will see success a lot easier. And if people are missing one of those things, they're either not passionate about it or, you know, they aren't able to offer value in some way, well, it's going to be a really short-term thing because there isn't, you know, they're going to see failure quicker um, or if they do see temporary failure, they won't be willing to push through because they're not passionate about it. I think a lot of people are, you know, so close to potential success, but, you know, because of the fact they have no passion about the thing they're doing, they were chasing it for the wrong reason. Um, they won't push through to that point where there's success.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's let's uh, let's talk about value briefly. Uh, just because I, I almost knew that that's exactly where you were going to go, and I have heard that so often, you know, over and over, and it's funny because I have this this you know uh, album cover of Cal Newport on our wall that talks about becoming so good they can't ignore you, uh, which is really I think where value gets created. But I mean, are there things that people can do? I mean, to discover whatever their inherent value is and connect that. To something that they're actually good at, in a way that allows them to stick with it for as long as it takes to get to wh- where they want to go, which I realize is a very convoluted question.
6: Yeah, I think. Well, you know, I always, you know, when people are saying, "Hey, you know what, you know, what type of business should I get into? What type of opportunity should I look at?" and I always tell people, you know, look at a look at an opportunity where you can offer more value than someone in the space, and it almost doesn't matter what the value is for. In other words, you don't have to be the number one person in a space um, to be successful, you can be number one at you know a certain subject sub niche of a space um, and see success. I think the the easiest way to to be successful in a business is to offer value in a way that nobody's doing, and a lot of people are doing. You know, like you and I have talked about before, a lot of people are you know trying to replicate what somebody else is doing, but the problem is that is they're not offering anything of additional value. So you know, even if something is value, but Valuable, but somebody else is already offering the same exact product or service. um, That's already out there, so it's not it's not a differentiation point. Um, And so there has to be something different about what someone is doing, um, which will in turn cause them to you know have more success. Which you know more success is obviously uh, easier for people to stay passionate about something and for them to want to keep going. If they you know offer something that somebody else is already doing. You know, there's not going to be a lot of people knocking at their door to get their product or service. So that tends to lessen a lot of their passion for something if, uh, if nobody's interested in what they're offering.
5: Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass- Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com.
4: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care.
5: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
3: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless: Have it to get thirty? Thirty. How get thirty? to get twenty? Twenty. Twenty. to get twenty? Twenty. I bet you get fifteen? Fifteen. Fifteen.
5: Fifteen. Just fifteen bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch.
0: Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's really easy to look at what somebody has done and, and say, OK, well, that worked for that person and try to copy it, not realizing that you're basically just creating a replica. I always say, you know, if you, all you do is follow in the footsteps of your heroes, role models and predecessors, you'll become a pale imitation uh, or be completely ignored.
6: Right. That's yeah, funny. for sure.
1: Well. You know, one of the things that was really interesting that you said was that you know, being an entrepreneur is an easy way to make money, which I thought was really funny considering everything you said right after that. Uh, you know, another thing that really intrigued me about your story and, and kind of you know, what you're all about is some of the things that my friend had told me about your views on money, and I'd love for you to expand on, you know, one, how you see wealth, how you see money, uh, you know, and really where people go wrong with that, that that leads them down to sort of dark places.
6: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, money is, you know, when I was a kid, I always looked at money as, hey, you know, I want to buy a Lamborghini or, you know, I want to buy a big mansion or something. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's, you really realize, I don't really, you know, those things would be cool to have, but um, I'd much, much rather have freedom. And, you know, freedom for me is, you know, if I want to get on a plane, like right now and go see a friend or just go, you know, travel to another country for a month, I can do that. And I can do that because I've, you know, built businesses that, you know, provide money that don't need me to be working on them every day to, you know, to continue to make money. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, they, I think they chase, they chase money for the wrong reasons. When you really look at it, at the end of the day, you know, what do you really want? And a lot of people think in terms of. You know, they think a, a, a Lamborghini or a mansion would make them feel a certain way and so they aspire to make money to be able to do that. But, you know, when you get at a point, it's, you know, what would you want to spend your days doing? Uh, you know, if you could if you had a you know a week left to live or a month left to live, would you say I want to go buy a mansion and a Lamborghini? Like probably not. Those things you would realize don't really do anything for you. Um, but the ability to and it's just such a it's such a good feeling to know, okay, if everybody else has to go to work today, and I can just I can go spend time with a friend, um, I can go travel. It's the ability also to not have to stress about a lot of the day-to-day things a lot of other people worry about. Like you know, if you want to go to a nice place for lunch, um, you don't really think about it. You just go you know go out to eat at the place you want to eat at. Where other people are, you know, constantly worrying about money. You know, one of the number one reasons uh, I think divorces happen is is money, and it's not. You know, it's it solves a lot of very very simple issues um, that you know 99% of people have. Um, if you can teach yourself to make money in a way that at least enough money to provide for you all the things that you want to provide, it, um, it it's it's hard to explain. It's just a comfort feeling, mm-hmm. I guess, just the freedom.
1: Yeah. You know, I I really appreciate that perspective because, you know, it's funny, you remind me of what Jason Gaynard once said, you know, he said, well, write down what your perfect day would look like. And when you actually do it, you're kind of like, wow, that doesn't require, you know, a hundred million dollars and a yacht and a Lamborghini. Right. Uh, You know, it's, it's kind of amazing the things that, you know, you would, you would write down that would actually bring you a lot of fulfillment and a lot of joy into your life.
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of people, a lot of people say, oh, you know, money is, you know, you know, money is greed and money, you know, all these things. And a lot of people talk about money negatively, but it's not, you know, it's not a negative thing. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's the joke. I mean, have you ever seen a, have you ever seen someone upset on a, a on a jet ski, you know, frowning on a jet ski? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, money allows you to do whatever it is that makes you happy, whether it's, you know, nothing at all, whether it's uh, traveling, whether it's, you know, spending time with, with family and friends, you know, whether it's good food, um, it doesn't have to be anything uh, extravagant, and I think, uh, you know, I, I talked to somebody recently and they they had a quote that was, well, you know, well, money is just a piece of paper until you don't have any, and when people don't have any, and that's when you tend to have the stress about money. So whenever you can't afford the things or the lifestyle that you want to live, that's when people tend to be stressed or tend to be not happy, you know, if you're if you're not doing the things that you want to do, um, it, it can often be attributed to money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about kind of your time as a poker player and kind of you know the the journey of that and and coming out the other side of it and everything you do. I mean, four years. I'm guessing you've probably got some pretty crazy stories and, and kind of you know what. You know, talk to me about the journey and what kind of led to the end of it and you know what made you come out of the other side.
6: Yeah, I mean, the start of it, um, as I mentioned, was a little bit slow. I mean, slower than I thought. Uh, you know, making nothing the first month and then. You know, hiring a coach that, you know, I think it's always important to hire someone to help you in whatever you're trying to do. So I hired a coach, um, which is similar to what I've done in, you know, I've done it in uh, business before, done it in fitness stuff. Uh, So hiring the coach early on helped a lot just because, you know, I was getting advice in poker from someone who had been where I wanted to be. So, you know, they were making a lot of money. They could teach me how to do it. And uh, so having that, you know, big second month and knowing that was possible, and then kind of taking off. And from there, um, you know, a lot of, you know, playing poker, a lot of people think is, you know, an extravagant lifestyle. I mean, I was doing, you know, 95% of it online. So it was just kind of, you know, working in your pajamas uh, at home. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't overly exciting. It was probably one of the the easiest, you know, they call it a, a hard way to, uh, hard way to make an easy living. Um, it's basically, you know, it is a, a bit of a grind. I mean, you're just sitting there in front of a computer playing playing cards, and I was playing lots of times. I'd at eight different poker tables up um, playing because basically if you can, you know, whatever volume you can handle, you basically multiply your hourly rate times however many tables you can handle. Um, so yeah, a lot of times I was playing, you know, eight different tables and, You know, I think at the high point, I was probably making, you know, a few hundred bucks an hour um, playing poker. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, though, where it kind of creates a situation that it's, I don't know, you have a skewed view of a lot of things. So, for example, you know, I was 20, I guess, 23 through, you know, 26, 27, I I was doing poker and a lot of decisions were based around money, which, you know, maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong. But, for example, if I wanted to go out on a weekend... Um, playing on the weekend was some of the best times to play. So, you know, if I was debating, you know, do I go out on this Friday, Saturday night? Well, you know, I'm basically, in some sense, saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up a thousand dollars to go out tonight. Um, and so, a lot of those things made me, you know, a lot of nights I stayed in to to make that thousand dollars as opposed to going out. So, you know, you give up some of your social life to make more money, but at the same time, it's like, well. The, the flip side you're wondering well I'm in this situation working for myself so I can do what I want to do but basically because of the money that's available I'm not doing you know what I would want to do if money wasn't an object and so um, you know when, when I look back at those times it, it, it's still a debate I mean even today when, when I you know decide whether I should do certain things it's you know I, I'm at a point now where okay I'm at, at still a relatively young age where do I want to live it up and travel and you know do whatever I want to do now while I'm young? Or do I want to make you know money so I don't have to worry about money in the future? So, you know, I am happy that I spent a lot of time putting money away from playing poker. Um, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, in my mid twenties, I was not going out, not partying much, basically just working a lot, um, playing poker when other people were having fun. And now, you know, you look at that, you look back, um, you know, over five years, and a lot of my friends that were out partying and all that now are in the position where they're kind of you know stressed about money and. and don't know what to do about money and and I was able to put myself in a position where now I have to worry about money a lot less than other people but you still wonder well do some of those people have you know have better experiences than I do. Um, So it's a constant uh, you know constantly questioning it and uh, but yeah I got out of poker um, did that for about four years full time and then um, got out because I wanted to start a business because you know, poker was basically still a job. I mean, it was you know I was working for myself, but it was a job. I mean, to make money, I had to had to be in front of the computer playing. And so, um, you know, started the, the poker business where basically we trained people, and that became you know became where it could be passive. Um, you know, people made poker videos, and I had uh, people come on to do support. Um, and so it was you know after you know getting that up and going, which again it wasn't wasn't an overnight thing. It took a lot of work, but at some point. Uh, you know, businesses become somewhat passive if you set them up in the right way. So, um, so yeah, that's the only reason I got out of poker. I mean, it was a probably the most fun job you could have, but uh, it was still a job. So that's, uh, yeah, that's why I, I never intended to be like a, a, a lifelong poker player. It was just kind of a, an easy way to generate a lot of money very quickly. It was, you know, none of my friends were making the type of money that any of my poker friends were making. Um, just because there was, you know, it's one of those things, it's a, it's looked at as a riskier venture, but if you really did the math, I mean, it's it's not risky at all. I mean, you can make, you know, there wasn't many other professions with uh, where you can make hundreds of dollars an hour as a as a twenty three year old.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what what's interesting to me is is when you you know talk about friends who now probably have money issues that you don't, and I think about sort of the willingness to stay in a place of uncertainty and discomfort, and how long you can tolerate that uh, in order to get to where you want to go and I think that to me it's it's that really is one of those critical things that you have to develop and uh I I mean I think you you really just have to be willing to put up with an insane amount of bullshit uh and discomfort if you want to live you know that life and you know that that old quote it's like you know you live your life the way most people won't so you can spend the for a certain number of years you can spend the rest of your life living it the way most people other people never will
6: yeah yeah totally I think uh yeah, there were there were definitely nights when yeah, I questioned what I was doing. I mean, I would try and move up to a higher higher level of game in poker to try and make more money, and it was uh, and I would lose a lot of money. You know, I had nights where you know you could lose ten thousand dollars in a night, um, and that you know the first time that happens, I mean, you're going to be questioning everything you're doing. You know, what what just happened? You know, you're twenty twenty three, twenty 25 and and losing ten thousand dollars in a night, um, and you know some of your friends, you know, they might not make that for, for four months. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was yeah, there's definitely there's high levels of there's ups and downs more than, than other things in that in that type of business. I mean there's there's stress points that, you know, no one else is feeling and, and to go through that stuff is one thing you learn from it and you, you fail and you get used to it like we talked about and it, it the next time that happens it hurts a little less and hurts a little less. Um but yeah, it is uncomfortable. I mean, I I remember you know, when I was playing even just in college, when I was starting to play for, you know, for side money, um, I was barely making anything. And I was, I remember going, I wouldn't eat lunch with, uh, you know, with, you know, I wouldn't eat lunch, uh, you know, in the cafeteria or whatever with everybody else. I would go back to my dorm room and, and practice poker and study poker. Cause I knew I, I knew there's an opportunity to make money there. Uh, looked interesting, had fun doing it. And so I would go back on lunch break every day in between classes and, and play and study. And, um, Again, that's not the most comfortable decision. The easiest thing would to do would you know go hang out with, with uh, for an hour with everybody else and have fun. And um, again, it's just a trade-off that you know. Do you want to be uncomfortable and you know, you know, working on something like that on your lunch break while other people are doing other things? Um, it's you know, it's not an easy road, but it allows you to have you know an easy road later. Um, mm-hmm. when when poker became easy for me, it was not because I just woke up one day and was a good poker player. It was because, you know hundreds of lunch breaks and, and nights playing poker and studying and coaches and everything later um, it became you know effort, effortless where basically on autopilot you know you could do it to where you didn't even really have to think about it and you could just click buttons and you were going to make money but again it's it's a long time of being uncomfortable playing and you know questioning yourself and wondering if you're any good and have you just got lucky up to this point and then you're just over the long run and uh, then one day you realize all that, all that work of being uncomfortable pays off and
1: mm-hmm. Kind of takes us back to that whole idea of short and long-term thinking.
6: Right. Totally.
1: So, well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears and, and let's get into kind of where that takes us now. I mean, to this whole idea of forever jobless, uh, you know, wh- one, where did where did that all come from? What does it mean? And, and, you know, where, you know, where are you taking it from here?
6: Yeah, still kind of questioning where I'm taking it. I mean, basically, I started it a year or two ago. I think I started the blog closer to two years ago. And it was basically just a way to, you know, I always had friends asking me, hey, how do I Know, how do I do what you do? How do I you know start my own business? How do I make money? And it was a much more efficient way to reach a lot of people and help them with what I could help them with. Um, and just kind of share, you know, my experience, my failures, um, any knowledge that I have and just kind of tell stories, um, you know, through the blog or not through the podcast. And yeah, I just kind of, I learned that I enjoyed helping people see things that took me a long time to learn Um, and thought I could shortcut a lot of people's learning curves on, you know, whether it be, you know, either not failing like I failed at something or, you know, succeeding in something that I succeeded in that um, I just kind of enjoy talking about uh, ways to make money and ways to change your life and and, uh, in ways that other people aren't talking about, whether it be, you know, starting a business or whether it be, you know, uh, kind of the, the expected value stuff and talking about, you know, mathematically Proving out why it's better to take risks, especially now versus, you know, waiting, you know, a decade to take risk. And I found I really just enjoyed uh, helping people with that kind of stuff.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, what really intrigues me is what you said about talking about it in the way that other people aren't, um, which to me is really the heart of almost everything that uh, anybody here on this show as a guest stands for. Uh, but really, I mean, in a world, especially because you know, it's not like you you started this ten years ago. You know, in the days when Tim Ferris was unknown and the whole idea of, of choosing a life of, of your own design was unknown. But you said something, you know, you, like you said about talking about it in a way that other people aren't and. I think that regardless of whatever you're doing, whatever you're making, whatever you're creating, you know, whether it be a business, whether it be making art, that is a fundamental thing to to basically surviving in the world today. And I'm curious, uh, you know, one, how you figured it out for yourself Two, how do people find that within themselves?
6: how do people find out how to be, how to be different?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a, that's a strange question, right? But there's something that inherently distinguishes them. I mean, like you said, you talk about this in a way that other people aren't because we could easily say that, okay, uh, how, how are you different than Tim Ferriss or anybody else? But you've kind of touched on it. And I'm really curious. I want to dig deeper into that because that to me is really a critical piece.
6: Yeah. Um, at least for, you know, for me, for Forever Jobless, when I, when I started looking at, so I did a lot of due diligence on other other blogs. Like I went kind of overboard. I went, uh, I looked at over 500 other blogs and basically wrote a list. And on that list, I had um, people who wrote, you know, along the lines of content that I'd be writing about. Um, I wrote everything from, you know, what type of uh, audience they had, what type of you know subscriber numbers. Um, you know, and just kind of their format. Um, I looked at a lot of people's like content length. And one of the things I noticed, at least in the the space I was looking at was, hey, there's not a lot of people writing long form, super in-depth posts around any subjects. And nobody was talking about, you know, my, I guess one of my, if you call it a specialty or whatever, is basically um, including math in a lot of the things I'm talking about. Not in a boring, like, hey, let's do a bunch of math, but just including a couple you know, examples of, um, some math behind some decisions to prove out, you know, whether something's right or wrong. And so nobody was doing that. Um, and almost nobody was doing long form content. And so, you know, a lot of blogs are, you know, 500 word blog articles where I noticed if there's you know hundreds of blogs in the space, almost everybody's doing them. And then you look at the people doing really long form content, there was almost nobody. And so, you know, and there's a reason for that, you know, a lot of people don't want to read long form content. But a lot of people are trying to. I guess they're trying to, you know, put things out that they try to reach everybody and they try to, uh, they try to be the source for everybody and they're going to fail, way more often doing that. The way I looked at it was okay. I knew I had an angle with you know talking about a lot of the mathematical stuff and I knew if I wrote long form content uh, in a way that other people weren't writing it, that for the people that enjoyed reading a you know three thousand four thousand word blog post. Um, I really wouldn't have a competitor for that type of content. And so, I didn't need to reach, you know, 90% of the people. If 90% of the re- readers hated that type of content, it didn't really matter because the other 10%, um, that would be the content that they'd want all the time. And so, I think for a lot of people they're trying to try, you know, trying to reach 100% of the audience with something that they think a lot of them might like, but the problem is everybody's already doing. There's already 500 other blogs doing that. So, you know, maybe they'll get in front of those people, but are they going to differentiate themselves if they write the same type of content or the same type of length, the same type of, you know, whatever the subject's about, they're going to be, you know, blog number 499 on the same stuff, but it's not, that's never a reason, nobody's going to say, hey, you know what, uh, you know, I found the 37th best blog on the same subject, uh, so let me subscribe to that and start reading that. It's just never going to happen, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people you asked about, you know, how does someone differentiate themselves? How how does, how does someone decide, you know, how do I come out and be different? And the biggest question that I try to ask myself is, you know, if I'm going to do something, do I have a chance to be the best at whatever it is that I'm doing? Um, and again, maybe I'll fail, um, but at least I want the chance at it. If I look at, you know, what competitors are doing, um, you know, do I have a chance to be the best person for what it is that I'm writing about? I don't need to be the best in the industry. I'm just focused on, you know, whatever sub niche I'm I'm interested in getting into, whatever I want to do. Um, do I have a chance to offer more value than anybody else is doing in the space? And if I can answer yes, then I then I dive in and and you know think about jumping in. If I answer no, then I try to figure out a way that okay, like how would I make it so that I could offer more value than anybody else is doing because you know like we touched on i mean if i don't if i just offer you know like a me too type product or a me too you know blog or podcast or whatever else it is uh, it'd be very difficult to stand out and if you don't stand out i mean it's you know, it makes marketing that much harder a lot of people say you know how do you how do you you know get get the word out on things well the, the thing is if you make a product or a service better than anybody else in the market for whatever it is you're doing um, marketing a lot of times takes care of itself because the people that you reach that like what you're offering will do all the marketing for you by talking about it
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this idea of asking yourself, you know, do I have a chance to be the absolute best at this thing, whatever it is I've chosen to do? Because I don't think a lot of people do. Like, I think that's such a, that is such a far-fetched idea for them. But to start with that premise, I mean, God, what a powerful question to ask.
6: Yeah. And it's not, and again, it's okay if you fail because, you know, if you're in that mindset where, can I be the best at this? A lot of times when you're diving into it, Either you know in the in the early stage when you're doing due diligence before you launch it, or when you get in, you realize, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not quite doing it. Um, if you're in the game in that space where you're you're kind of in the thought process of trying to be the best at something, a lot of times you'll notice a different opportunity in the space where there is that gap, where there is a, you know a space for someone to go in and do something nobody else is doing. But you know, if a lot of people are just looking at it from a I guess a replication standpoint you're never going to be in that mindset to fill a gap in the market. And when you fill a gap in the market, that's when the successes are born.
1: Mm, I love that. And I think it makes a a really just fantastic way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, So I have one last question for you, and this is how we close everything at the unmistakable creative at, uh, what do you think it is uh, in the world today that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
6: I think, uh,
2: Man, I hate I hate like
6: I hate repeating it, but uh, yeah, just uh, just doing something in a way that stands, that is substantially different than anybody else is doing. Um, I think, you know, if you're if you notice yourself doing something that other people are doing, um, it's probably not going to give you the results that you want. It's not going to make you you know unique. Uh, It's not going to make you you know stand out from anybody else. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to do something, try and do it in a way that nobody else is doing. And I think, you know, the results will be, the results will be good.
1: Awesome. Well, Billy, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners here at Unmistakable Creative. This has been just fabulous as I expected it would be.
6: Yeah, man. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah. And for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.